You're listening to Tom Fitton's weekly update here on JW TalkNet. Hi, everyone. Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with our weekly update here on social media. Thanks for joining us during this busy week for those of us here in Washington, D.C., concerned about government corruption and the role of of the judiciary in our nation's public life. Big Supreme Court vacancy announced uh, with Justice Kennedy's retirement. Also, Maxine Waters is in hot water for fighting violence against members of President Trump's cabinet, and Judicial Watch is on top of that. Also, I have details of a new court ruling uh, that pushed back on the Justice Department stonewalling on a Russiagate scandal. So a lot to talk about. First up, though, I think is the most deplorable aspect of uh, the use of term uh, that is now famous, thanks to Hillary Clinton. But uh, Maxine Waters, a congressman from California, last weekend uh, said a pretty ter- something pretty darn terrible. And uh, I want to quote it for you because uh, I, to have a public official say something like this is beyond the pale. And she was addressing a crowd in uh, Los Angeles on Saturday, June 23rd. So it's on YouTube, so you can see video of it all over uh, the Internet. If you see anybody from that cabinet, the Trump cabinet, in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd and you push back on them and you tell them they are not welcome anymore anywhere. Now, how do you like that for inciting violence, assault, and riot? I don't know how you interpret it any other way to tell people to put a, get a crowd together in a private area, gasoline, a restaurant, shopping, and push back on someone. That's inciting violence in my book and assault and, and all the other terrible things associated with uh, political violence. I, I can't believe that uh, she's a member of the House in good standing. And to that end, Judicial Watch just doesn't wait around. Uh, We filed an ethics complaint against Maxine Waters uh, with the House Ethics Committee, specifically to Office of Government uh, Congressional Ethics, which is the body uh, that preliminarily looks at ethics complaints and then refers it over to the House Ethics Committee. And there's a rule in the House, and it's a basic rule, it's a good rule. A member, a delegate, or resident, a resident commissioner, officer, or employee of the House shall conduct himself at all times in a manner that shall reflect credibly on the House. So when you, as a congressman, encourage individuals to create crowds who will push back on President Trump's cabinet members, I'm reading from our complaint, at, a private, bus- at private business establishments, and in seemingly seemingly trying to prevent these cabinet officials from obtaining basic necessities without fear or assault of violence. She seems to be in violation of that rule, mandating that you be, uh, that you engage in behavior that reflects credibly on the House of Representatives. Does inciting violence, assault, and riot reflect credibly on the House of Representatives? Of course not. And uh, there's this this, this virus going through the left right now where they think it's okay uh, to assault elected officials in public. You had, uh, this wasn't an assault, but Sarah Sanders Huckabee last weekend was asked to leave a restaurant in um, uh, Lexington, Virginia 
the Red Hen restaurant in Lexington, Virginia, and the owner asked her to leave for supposedly moral reasons. And uh, not only that, but reportedly the owner then followed Sarah Sanders across the street to the restaurant which she went to to harass her there. Now, subsequent to this issue uh, and subsequent to Maxine Waters' comments, the Secret Service announced, or it was announced, the Secret Service would be providing uh, Sarah Sanders protection at her home. Obviously, she's protected already at the White House. And I guarantee you that the Secret Service, they don't lightly provide protection to additional individuals at the Secret Service. Uh, There's got to be threats. Uh, there's got to be something serious going on because A, it's a budget issue, B, it's a capacity issue in terms of having the bodies necessary to defend someone 24-7 and protect someone 24-7. And I guarantee you that in assessing the threat environment for Sarah Sanders, the Secret Service looked at what Maxine Waters said on the Hill and uh, factored that into its decision uh, to provide Sarah Sanders protection. And I guarantee you there's all sorts of other threats that we don't know about and probably shouldn't know about that the Secret Service is aware of. Now, there have been other reports that a uh, ICE official had a decapitated animal carcass left on their front porch. These leftists have been putting out the personal residential, residential addresses of ICE agents up on the Internet, gathering and them and making them easily accessible in one place. And we have a House of Representatives member encouraging attacks on Trump's cabinet officials. So now it's up to the House of Representatives to decide whether or not they think it's appropriate for a member to incite violence. And what are they going to do about it? Well, the House can do several things. They can do nothing. They can reprimand her. They can censure her, or they can expel her. I personally think this is the type of behavior that uh, warrants strong consideration of expulsion from the House of Representatives. And the House has got to decide whether or not it's going to allow itself to be a platform for its members to incite violence. I don't care what you say, uh, because the left has said that um, this is just a protest she was encouraging. Look, we have a First Amendment right to protest government actions. You should protest anything you really want within reason. Uh, you know, there are time, place, and uh, restrictions on protests. But generally, you know, for instance, Jeff Sessions was uh, out in California this week, and uh, he was giving a speech. There were protesters outside that speech. That's great. Founding fathers would have loved that. Uh, the right to protest uh, government officials in a safe manner. But what we're talking about is people going onto private property, creating crowds to push back on cabinet officials. Now just think about this. You're out shopping with your family, or you're getting gasoline with your family, trying to buy food for your family, and a crowd confronts you in a private space and pushes back. Does that create any safety concerns for you? Of course it does. And you don't need to be hit in order to be assaulted. You don't need to be hit in order for a protest to be violent and have the threat of violence behind it. 
You don't have to be damaged or hurt uh, to face uh, fear from rioting. And that's why rioting is obviously illegal. So this is what Maxine Waters, a House member, is promoting against President Trump. And everyone, you know, there's this theory that Maxine Waters, you know, she's crazy, you know, she's kind of a nut, you can't pay attention to what she says. She's not crazy. She knows what she's doing. And she needs to be held accountable. And I suggest that you call your members of Congress and ask them what they're going to do about this. Are they going to allow their house to be used as a platform to incite violence against other government officials? Because as you know, the instinct of the House leadership of both political parties is to do nothing about Maxine Waters. And that's why Judicial Watch filed an ethics complaint to get the process in place. So if nothing is done, we can't just say, well, you know, everyone just talked about doing something, but no one really uh, put their nose to the grindstone to get something done and to get the process going. So at least we've got the process going. Now, I'm not naive about how it's going to turn out, but we've got to take a stand, don't we? We've got to take a stand. And I, I, I think this is pretty serious stuff. Uh, if I were the president, I would be uh, directing the Secret Service and the other uh, law enforcement agencies at the federal level that provide protection for his uh, senior officials, his cabinet officials, and maybe other folks in the White House. Uh, to really step it up in terms of maybe they need to provide more protection. And I guarantee you when folks like, you know, it's funny, EPA Director um, Scott Pruitt is being criticized for having excessive security protection. I guarantee you there have been terrible threats against him that warrant the increased protection. And when the protection levels are increased as a result of threats by people like Maxine Waters, you can bet the left is going to criticize the extra costs. Uh, this is a serious situation. I think that we need to take a stand against what Maxine Waters did. And uh, when you've got major public policy figures and media figures on the left going on television, comparing the president to Hitler, comparing federal law enforcement to Nazis on a regular basis, not because they're committing any abuses, just because they're enforcing the rule of law on the border by arresting people and jailing people who break the law and calling them Nazis because the results of those arrests result in uh, breaking up a family, which happens all across the country to citizens and non-citizens alike when parents commit crimes and they're calling ICE agents Nazis. That's dangerous to do. It's dangerous to do. And so uh, Judicial Watch is going to stand fast for the rule of law against political violence. Against political violence. It's sad that I have to put this on our panel plate, put this on our plate as part of Judicial Watch's activities, standing against political violence. Thank you, Maxine Waters, and thank you, the fellow travelers on the left, who promote it. I'm sure there are people on the right who say things that are inappropriate too. Uh, but uh, between the Antifa movement, the anarchists, 
and Maxine, Maxine Waters and uh, what we're seeing happening right now, the left is the chief proponent of political violence or the threat of violence to get their ends right now. And uh, we, as I said, we've got to stand against it. So Judicial Watch is doing its part. So, uh, boy, that's, that's something that I prefer not to have to talk about on the weekly update, political violence. But that's the reality of modern-day America because the left has become unhinged with the election of a politician they don't like. Uh, good news in the sense that uh, we've got another opportunity, which I'm sure is going to further inflame the left, They've been threatening violence as a result of this news development, which is the retirement of Anthony Kennedy from the Supreme Court. Now, uh, Justice Kennedy uh, was not a reliable conservative. I don't think he was a conservative at all. Uh, whatever he wanted to do, he did on the court. Sometimes it resulted in good results for conservatives, as what happened recently this term. But oftentimes, uh, it resulted in the Supreme Court usurping power that wasn't granted to it under the Constitution to create new policy and new rights. And uh, so uh, any constitutional conservative that gets on the bench as a result of President Trump's opportunity here to nominate someone uh, is going to be a marked improvement uh, for those of us concerned about having Supreme Court justices on the bench who believe in the rule of law try to apply the Constitution as written and originally understood by those who created the documents, and uh, resist the temptation. Judge Bork, uh, he called it the tempting of America. And one aspect of it in, in that book, which I, I think you should still, uh, which is still out there, you should read, was that you know, if you're on the bench, it is so tempting to insert your policy views and substitute them for the law. Because any judge is going to be faced with decisions that if he applies the law, that will have an end result he may disagree with as a citizen. And so the temptation is to insert your political beliefs and impose your political beliefs through your judicial office, which is a violation, in my view, of your oath. Uh, but judges do it all the time. And the left has got a nasty habit of doing it because they recognize oftentimes they can't get what they want at the ballot box uh, or through the legislature. And so they rely on judges to change policy. Uh, so uh, Justice Kennedy's retirement is an opportunity for President Trump to appoint another constitutional conservative. If he appoints someone like Gorsuch, it's almost inevitable that he gets his nominee through the Senate. And the left is going to be very upset. So what's going to happen over the next few months is the left is going to scream as much as they can. Uh, Democratic senators are going to try to placate their base uh, by opposing President Trump's nomination, nominee, whoever she or he may be, with outrageous comments and threats. And uh, you would think uh, uh, they'll say it's the worst person uh, ever to be nominated to the Supreme Court. But they have to say that. Uh, but the person's going to get a vote. He's going, to get nom he's going to get approved by the Senate. It's going to happen. And so what I would think you want to do is let your senators know what you think about these issues, both uh, Democrat and, and Republican, because there will be Democrats who vote for President Trump's nominee to the Supreme Court. So you should let your views be known. And, and, and it's a good habit to get into. I mean, you just assume 
your voice has no, uh, no weight here in Washington, D.C. It does. Uh, the House and the Senate, they keep track of the calls and the letters uh, on these issues, and they track it, believe you me. It, uh, it may not change a vote, but it sometimes changes rhetoric. Someone who may be uh, wanting a vote against the nominee uh, may not take a leadership role they otherwise would have taken because they know their constituents don't like it. So I encourage you always to share your views. And that goes for, you know, if you disagree with me, share your views. Don't threaten violence. Write a letter. Call your members of Congress. Call your senators on the topics of the day. Uh, they want to hear from you, believe it or not. They do want to hear from you. They're politicians. They're in the business of figuring out what, they're electing, what the, their constituents want. So uh, this is a great opportunity to solidify a conservative majority on the Supreme Court that is going to actually apply the Constitution rather than amend it from the court, which is an outrageous abuse of their authority under the Constitution. So uh, the left is apoplectic. And... Uh, but if they want the justices that uh, are going to usurp the rule of law and substitute their own will for them, they're going to have to get more votes in the Senate and they're going to have to change the presidency. That's the way the system works. Now, they're going to want to short-circuit the system somehow to get what they want, but that's the reality of it. And uh, you can see why they're going to be so upset because there have been some great decisions that have come down over the last week or so this is what the Supreme Court turned ended this week from um, the Supreme well the great decisions from the Supreme Court show why it's so important to have a solid conservative majority because many of these decisions were five four where Justice Kennedy was uh, obviously one of the votes and uh, one of the big decisions was the support of the upholding of President Trump's travel ban. Now recall the travel ban was the cause celebra for the left. Uh, where the president uh, wanted to restrict uh, individuals coming into the country uh, from certain countries. And the left said, well, you know, he hates Muslims, and it's anti-Muslim, and therefore he's not allowed to restrict anyone from coming in. Well, that isn't the reality of how the ban, or the travel restrictions were implemented. It included countries that weren't Muslim. It included countries uh, only that represented a small portion of a Muslim population worldwide. So uh, if you wanted to restrict Muslims coming into the United States, you'd have to have a travel ban, for instance, against Indonesia, Pakistan, Afghanistan, uh, Saudi Arabia, Turkey. And of course, travel ban didn't extend to that. It extended to countries where there were little, fu the functioning governments were uh, virtually non-existent. They couldn't figure out who was actually coming in from the country because the government programs, the government was uh, inoperable, it was unable to operate in places like Yemen or, uh, or Libya. Iraq for a time was there, but it was taken off. Uh, so these countries were uh, no man land in terms of not being able to provide our security personnel here that protect our border and, and entry points from figuring out who it is exactly is coming from, the, from those particular places. So it had nothing to do with being a Muslim. Uh, now, to be clear, 
we got a real problem when we don't try to figure out if Islamic jihadists are coming into the country. And the president's very concerned about that. The political class falls down on the ground whenever you mention it. But the idea that we may have little in place to make sure that Islamic jihadists don't come into the country, who adhere to that radical ideology don't come into the country, is problematic. So uh, anyway, so this 5-4 decision upheld the president's right to restrict individuals coming into the country, a right which he has by law. And you had all these anti-Trump judges at the lower courts deny him his right under the law and under the Constitution uh, to decide who comes into the country and who doesn't. In cases of emergency, and generally speaking, he has the right to restrict categories of individuals from coming into the country. Uh, Chief Justice Roberts wrote uh, quite correctly, and he referenced the law I'm talking about, by its plain language. See, this is very controversial for the left, to cite the plain language of the law. The law grants the president broad discretion to suspend the entry of aliens into the United States. The president lawfully exercised that discretion based on his findings following a worldwide multi-agency review that entry that the entry of the covered aliens would be detrimental to the national interest. So he followed all the rules, but uh, Justice Sotomayor, who was, uh, I think, the lead author of the dissent, went, you know, she was very upset because she said, well, he didn't like Muslims, so therefore he can't have this quite, uh, uh, quite defensible ban on people coming from countries that are out of control. And thankfully, there were five justices that upheld the president's right to do this. And this is why it's important we get additional justices and solidify the majority so the leftist craziness at the lower courts where President Trump isn't able to be president because they don't like him. So the law that allows presidents the discretion to limit entry into the United States doesn't apply to President Trump because they don't like him personally. I mean, this is why these court fights are important, because we can't have judges who are both, by the way, Republican and Democrat appointees who believe this. So I'm glad the Supreme Court didn't buy into the politics of this and applied the rule of law. And there was another good decision. Uh, there were a few good decisions. There was another decision, a 5-4 decision, where the, the uh, liberals in California had passed a law that would have required uh, pro-life pregnancy centers to advertise the fact that the state provides abortions. So imagine you set up a pro-life pregnancy center that's trying to provide uh, services to uh, women in crisis who are pregnant. And you're pro-life and you don't want them to have abortions. There's nothing you can do legally to prevent them from having abortions, but you're providing a space for them to come in where you can provide help to them as they go through a difficult pregnancy. The state of California, the liberals there, the abortion extremists hated that. So their idea was to attack these uh, uh, centers by requiring them uh, to promote abortion. And the Supreme Court said, no, you can't force someone to engage in speech that is objectionable like this on a controversial matter. And, and uh, Justice Kennedy said the right thing there. Uh, he said, uh, the, uh, I don't have the quote in front of me, but 
Uh, he said uh, the legislature prom promoted themselves on their forward thinking on this matter. And he said, you know what? Forward thinking is following the Constitution and the First Amendment of the United States. And, and, and that reminds me, I encourage you to read all of these decisions I'm talking about. Supreme Court decisions, I'm not a lawyer, are usually quite accessible to the layperson. So you don't need to be a lawyer to read these decisions. You know, some of it is legal uh, uh, material that you may not need to know or understand, and you can just breeze through that. But the substantive arguments on these big decisions I'm talking about are easily accessible and understood uh, by anyone. Uh, and, um, and the justices write their decisions because they know they're going to be widely read, not just by lawyers, but by the citizens. So I encourage you to go and look at them. Uh, also, there was a great decision this week about forced unionism. Uh, this is the public sector version of it. So in many states, uh, you have public employee unions where uh, they require those who don't want to participate in the union to pay them a fee, an agency fee as it's called. So this forced subsidy of unionism uh, and the activities associated with it, which go far beyond collective bargaining, which is kind of a of, uh, an activity which is controversial in and of itself, but lobbying and all sorts of other things that public employee unions do. Uh, the Supreme Court said 5-4, that's forced, subs that forced subsidy is speech, violates the First Amendment. And uh, this is a big blow to the left, to the Democratic Party, because they rely on the fees from these uh, public employee unions or the monies these public employee unions are able to, to raise as a result of this, of these forced fees uh, to uh, support their political campaigns and their political efforts generally. Uh, and uh, look, I think Democrats and Republicans and whatever your party is, you should battle. But to force someone to subsidize political activities and controversial public policy activities is obviously at odds with the First Amendment. The government shouldn't be doing that. Uh, besides the, uh, the problem of having public employee unions generally, uh, on top of that, forcing people to subsidize them is just unbelievable. And thankfully, the Supreme Court, in a very close decision, 5-4 again, overturned that requirement. So freedom will come to public employees in, I think, 22 states or so. Uh, because other states don't force their employ public employees to subsidize union activity. So another big deal. So Justice Kennedy was on the right side of that. So the Supreme Court fight will occur over the next few months, and uh, we'll see uh, how, uh, who the president chooses. He has a list of 25 uh, nominees or people that he's uh, thinking about nominating. Much of those, uh, the full, not the full list, but much of the list was already put out before he was uh, elected to president because Justice Scalia passed away. Uh, the Republicans in the Senate said, look, President Tr uh, Obama is on his way out. He's not going to get a Supreme Court seat in the middle of a presidential election year. The American people are going to decide who's going to be on the Supreme Court with this vote. And President Trump... Uh, then candidate Trump put out a list. This is the type of person I would uh, appoint. In fact, I'm going to appoint from this list. So in many ways, 
most of the people that the president is considering appointing were on the ballot with him when he won office. So it was a, it was a good transparency move. I'll leave the political analysis to others, but uh, it's pretty hard to argue that the American people didn't know what was coming when they elected President Trump. And he's committed to appointing a constitutional conservative, someone who uh, doesn't like Roe versus Wade, which is the uh, abortion on demand decision. Uh, and uh, if we get a, a nominee like Gorsuch or Scalia or Thomas or Alito, uh, those of us who believe in the rule of law will be quite happy. You know, a few weeks ago, a few weeks ago, I told you about a hearing, and uh, we had just come back from it. I think it was the day before I did the weekly update. And the hearing was a Freedom of Information Act case that Judicial Watch had filed in the Russiagate scandal the illicit spying of the Obama gang and the Obama administration on the Trump team. And that involved uh, Clinton DNC-funded Fusion GPS, uh, who had hired, among others, Nellie Orr, the wife of Bruce Orr, top official at the Justice Department. Uh, there are all sorts of other issues with Fusion GPS, but this Bruce Orr was obviously in a conflicted way working with Fusion GPS while his wife worked for it on a project to destroy President Trump. And he did it in an inappropriate way, and when it was at least publicly announced that that had happened, Bruce Orr was removed from his number four slot at the Justice Department and put back to another senior position which he already held, which is, I think, head of organized crime. So we wanted to know Tell us more about Bruce Orr's wife. So give us communications between the Attorney General's office from 2015, 16, and 17 and Bruce Orr's wife. We asked this back in December of last year. We sued. We still don't have the documents. And the government was telling us it will take us six months to even begin searching, I think. And by the way, we only want to search for one year, 2016. Well, the president ran beginning in 2015. We don't know when the Fusion GPS deal began, and obviously it ran into 2017, because that's when only that's that's the time when Bruce Orr was removed. But this Justice Department was playing games. So we had a court hearing. And as I told you a few weeks ago, the court hearing went very well because the judge said, no, 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 no. Uh, you're not going to take six months. In fact, you're going to begin searching for documents immediately. And within two months, I'm going to have a status conference, and the writing was on the wall. You better have those documents to Judicial Watch that you're going to produce to them. And uh, what I, so that was great. And so I, what I want you to know, though, is the order that came out, or the transcript of this, the court hearing, uh, was uh, very illustrative of the frustration the courts have with the lack of transparency by not the Obama Justice Department, but by Jeff Sessions' Justice Department. Uh, Judge Walton has uh, repeatedly criticized the Justice Department during the hearing, which took place on June 14th. And I'm going to quote from the transcript of Judge Walton. This is Judge Walton, the federal court judge, who was criticizing the Justice Department. I think if it's been almost since December, when the initial request was made, I need my glasses here, more should have been done by now. And it seems to me, if you have someone who's going to come into office and they say they're going to be a disruptor, referencing President Trump, that they should appreciate 
there's going to be a lot of FOIA requests and therefore should gear up to deal with those requests. So I'm not real sympathetic to the position that you have limited staff and therefore you can't comply with these requests. So I think you're going to have to get some more people. I mean, FOIA is considered to be very important. I keep getting from the government, from various agencies, that we can't do this, we can't do that because we don't have the resources. I'm not real sympathetic to that. FOIA is important. Open government is important. And the government has to comply with FOIA in order to make it an open government. So I can't tell you how pleased I am or how pleased I was to be sitting in the courtroom. Now, I'm not the lawyer. I'm there as the client. And here, a federal judge pushed back on the Justice Department gamemanship that I see virtually every day here at Judicial Watch and our attorneys have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. So we had waited six months. They still hadn't done anything, and they told us it would take six more months. And they didn't even want to search everywhere they wanted us. We wanted them to search, and they wanted to limit the search chronologically. That's lawlessness. It's lawlessness on FOIA, but it's lawlessness, and it's our Justice Department doing it. And it's an important issue because it's on Fusion GPS. It's on the targeting of President Trump. It's on potential Obama Justice Department and who knows what else collusion with a Clinton campaign vendor. Remember, Fusion GPS was paid for with Clinton campaign and DNC money to create the Russia dossier and uh, otherwise go after President Trump or then-candidate Trump. What was the Justice Department's role in all that? We're not going to find it from Congress. As I've noted before, the IG typically only scratches the surface, doesn't want to go the full, the full, uh, the full mile, so to speak, in drawing the conclusions necessary about corruption at the Justice Department and FBI. They'll put out facts that are obviously bad, but they don't want to draw the conclusions. So it's up to Judicial Watch to do this. Uh, they, uh, Congress just passed this week a resolution, the House did, giving the Justice Department seven more days to turn over documents they've been withholding for probably close to a year. What are they going to do? Impeach or issue contempt if that happens to Rosenstein. Well, you know, I appreciate the extra pressure. I appreciate Congress letting them know that there's serious consequences potentially here. But we want the documents. Congress has other powers it can exercise, the spending power, to get the documents. You know, Strzok, uh, Peter Strzok, who is the FBI agent, who uh, was writing those text messages about stopping Trump, having an insurance policy against Trump, having a plan to uh, vindicate uh, or stop Trump. He testified in a closed-door hearing earlier this week for 11 hours. Now, everyone says 11 hours. That's a long time. Usually there's an inverse relationship between the amount of time someone is questioned by Congress and the value of the testimony, and that seemed to be the case here. I don't know why it wasn't transparent. I don't know why it wasn't in public. You had a bunch of congressmen asking him questions. Now it turns out we find out, according to some of those congressmen who were there, that uh, the FBI prevented 
struck from asking or answering many key questions. So you have an attorney from the government there telling Strzok you can't answer that question. So the cover-up continues. Rod Rosenstein and um, Christopher Wray were on the Hill this week as well. That was disastrous testimony for the credibility of the FBI and Justice Department. Mr. Rosenstein evidently thinks he's doing nothing wrong in document production. Uh, Director Ray thinks the IG report that exposed outrageous corruption at the FBI wasn't about the FBI as an institution. Well, that's just, just, just obliviousness to the credibility crisis that is facing the FBI and DOJ. Few Americans trust them to do anything fairly, certainly on the Trump-Russia investigation, where, frankly, they should be not trusted to do anything fairly and without bias on any politically sensitive investigation. Ray and Rosenstein seem oblivious to that. They're defending Mueller, talking about how great a guy he is. It's clear that the FBI director and the deputy attorney general have professional and personal admiration for Robert Mueller that make it impossible for them to dispassionately analyze whether or not he's behaving appropriately. You know, I told you about this travel ban, for instance. Remember, Robert Mueller's number two, Andrew Weissman, Sally Yates, the attorney general, acting attorney general at the time President Trump announced his first version of it, said she wasn't going to defend it in court, even though it was perfectly defensible. Outrageous misbehavior by a government lawyer, and she was rightly fired. Andrew Weissman, who's now Mueller's deputy, number two, sent Mo, uh, uh, her an email saying he was in awe of her for doing this. He's an anti-Trumper. And the special counsel who's supposed to be reassuring Americans that he's doing things without bias, after all, he is a special counsel, has on his team the number two guy who's an anti-Trumper, who also, according to the Wall Street Journal, went to Hillary Clinton's election night party. So Andrew Weissman was ha unhappy, I guarantee you, with the travel ban being upheld by the Supreme Court this week because he was within the Justice Department trying to undermine it by supporting Sally H's lawlessness. Rod Rosenstein doesn't see it as a problem. He thinks Mueller can still do his job. He had upwards of five FBI agents and lawyers on Mueller's team who expressed anti-Trump bias similar to Robert uh, Peter Strzok. But Rosenstein doesn't think it's a problem. Ray doesn't think it's a problem because they like Mueller. Mueller is just another politician, another appointee. And I remember Mueller being involved, his FBI, in working with Lois Lerner's IRS to try to prosecute, think of ways to prosecute the very groups that Lois Lerner was suppressing. And the FBI improperly got the FBI records or the IRS records of those groups and had to return them once it was exposed by Judicial Watch in Congress. And I was saying the other day, why hasn't Mueller been called up on Hill to testify? There are lots of things he can testify about. He may not want to testify about ongoing investigations, all of which I think should be shut down because Mueller can't be trusted or his team can't be trusted to do it. 
They've been compromised. But he could be questioned about Peter Strzok. He could be questioned about why he withheld from the American people for four months that he had to remove his top FBI agent on the Russia investigation because of anti-Trump bias, and it only came out once Congress found out about it back uh, four months after it happened. He can explain why he thinks it's no big deal to have a bunch of Democratic donors on his prosecutorial team when he's supposed to be reassuring the American people that he doesn't have a dog in the fight. Congress is afraid to take on Mr. Mueller, but Judicial Watch is not. We hold him accountable to the rule of law as best as we're able to with the tools that we're allowed to use. We filed a lawsuit asking for Andrew Weissman's text messages, for instance. We filed lawsuits asking for his budget, Mueller's budget, basic information, something that Congress isn't doing. So, uh, so as Congress creates circuses on the Hill on this Russiagate scandal, Judicial Watch is in court getting information, holding the Justice Department to account in ways that Congress can only dream of doing. So next week is our Independence Day. We celebrate Independence Day, July 4th holiday. You know, and it occurred to me as I was thinking about this update that we forget because the liberal media doesn't want you to remember, uh, because our education system is deficient, how it is our country came into being. And to that end, I'm going to read a little bit of the Declaration of Independence. I'd like to read the whole thing, but I don't think I can get through the whole thing. Because it's worth remembering and worth sharing how our country was founded. And uh, in Congress, July 4, 1776, the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America, when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have been connected them with another, and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station in which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed with their creator with certain inalienable rights, and among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive to these ends, it is the right of the people to alter, alter or abolish it, and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence, indeed, will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes, and accordingly all experience hath sown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Such has been the patient sufferances of these colonies, and such now is the necessity which constrains them to alter their former systems of government. The history of the present king of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations 
and having the indirect object, the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. To prove this, let facts be submitted to a candid world. And then all of the in portions of the, it's an indictment of uh, the Great British, uh, the Great Britain's um, tyranny over the colonies is listed. We therefore, the representatives of the United States of America and General Congress, assembled appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions due in the name and by authority of the good people of these colonies, solemnly publish and declare that these United States colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved and that as free and independent states they have full power to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce, and to do all other acts and things which independent states may of right do and for the support of this declaration with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. And that's pretty moving stuff, isn't it? That's pretty moving. And obviously all the members, the delegates, signed underneath. Because if they lost, if this wasn't successful, the men who signed this declaration were facing ruin and worse. Now, bring this forward to today. Are we acting as a citizenry in a way that would do justice to those who put everything on the line, including their lives, to provide us with the nation we have today? Our freedoms, our constitution, our rights, our liberties. And so um, I'd like to think that Judicial Watch uh, advances the values there in the Declaration of Independence, holding our government to account not suffering the indignities of lawlessness of our elected representatives and our bureaucracies. I'd like to think that Judicial Watch is something the Founding Fathers would applaud. But those of you who support us, obviously, I, I love uh, the fact that you do. But you know, ask yourselves, are you doing things in your civic life, in your civic activism, that would do justice to this Declaration of Independence and the War for Revolution? those who fought in the war for revolution. Many of you, I'm sure, are, and I appreciate that. And, and this is a question I ask of those of on the left and the right. You have an obligation, it seems to me, that if you think something's going wrong with the government, to let your voice be known and to be active and participate in the debate. So um, declaration is well worth reading. I encourage you to read it in its entirety. Thank you for joining us this week. I hope you have a safe and happy Independence Day, and I'll see you next week. You have just listened to Tom Fitton's weekly update on JW TalkNet. Remember to subscribe and donate at judicialwatch.org slash donate.